0: Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Tom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Uh, so Melanie, we, we want to start off with some listener feedback we got okay. on our Discord community, which you two can join at sqpn.com slash Discord. And let me just see if I can turn this. I got to turn my microphone, my headphone down a little bit because it was, I can hear myself in my ears. I started wearing my headphones while recording and piping my audio back through so that we don't have a repeated that time I forgot to turn my microphone back on. Right. As I'm sure the listeners remember. But it's really weird cuz I'm not used, even though I've done, you know, this or radio for over 10 years now. Um it's I never did it with hearing my own voice. I I
1: can't handle hearing my own voice.
0: It throws me me off because it's just slightly out of phase. So I stumble a lot more. It's
1: like when you hear your own voice because somebody's got you on speakerphone on the cell phone.
0: Yes, I hate hate that. that. Don't do that.
1: (laughs) My sister does it to me all the time.
0: Yes. All right. So feedback. This came from Lizzie G on our Discord server. And uh, Lizzie writes, My family's Italian and I'm originally from Massachusetts, but we only have pie at Christmas by coincidence rather than intentionally, as in someone wants to make pie for the gathering, so there's a pie present. Is it a pie that's a gift? Or is it just a pie that is present? Uh, I think she means there's a pie that is present. (laughs) There's a pie present.
1: I don't think think the pie was meant to be a present.
0: Well, Well, let me tell you though. I will always accept gifts of pie. Pie is always an acceptable gift. Anyway, cookies, though, 100% are the Christmas thing for us. So
1: right. Cookies.
0: I think pie is also Christmas dessert. Anyway, this will never get settled. (laughs) No. But also, I loved your conversation about the MFA, the Boston's Museum of Fine Arts. I haven't been there since I got married and moved out of state, but it is my favorite museum of art. The Egyptian section has always been my favorite. My family actually did have a membership to the Museum of Science, though, because we went there often. That's probably my favorite museum in general, and I really want to take my kids. Thank you for reminding me of what I need to do the next time we're visiting my parents. Ha ha. Nice. Very
1: nice. I like the Museum of Science, too. We've had memberships before, and yeah. it is fun.
0: The Museum of Science tends to be always crowded. Like, uh, the MFA has, like, if you go during the week, the MFA is not that crowded, usually. I've seen the Museum of Science not so crowded. Really? Every time I've gone, it feels like it's always been super crowded. The The Museum of Science's downside, and hopefully that's cha- it's changed since we've been there, some of the exhibits were really old, like, way out of date. Like, the steam engine area, that whole, um, there's, like, this first floor area to the right as you come in. I don't know if you remember, Melanie. I, yeah. It's very clear in my mind. But there's this whole section and it's just this it's sparse and quite empty. Like the other parts of the museum are great. They're new. They're they're really up to date. And there's just one area that needs to be updated for whatever reason. But we've been talking about going again because we still haven't been to the giant Van de Graaff generator. No. Which is basically a lightning machine. We,
1: we covered that in a recent episode.
0: Oh. Uh, okay. Did we, was It was an episode or was it just over dinner?
1: I thought we talked about it on the show.
0: It's really confusing because sometimes we have trouble distinguishing conversations we've had in front of the microphones and conversations we've had at dinner. I think it was at dinner because the kids were joining in on that. In any case, you listeners, you can tell us if, if I'm misremembering. I have
1: a pretty clear memory of sitting right here while having that
0: conversation. OK, so. Uh, I could be wrong. It's probably was the conversation that Lizzie is writing. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> probably, anyway. Uh, I told Lizzie on Discord that the Egyptian section has been updated. Oh yeah,
1: they've they've done a really great job of updating that. It's really wonderful. The
0: whole statuary area, the the whole section that's just dedicated to the statuary, and a whole other section dedicated to the the dig, the the excavations that were very specifically done by people from the MFA right the MFA in injunction
1: conjuncture with Harvard and uh,
0: something else something else in Boston and then there was like an Italian dig at the same time and British I think so I think it was British maybe, maybe German yeah it might be German too so they were to go and dig the uh the Ark of the Covenant over by the uh in Tannis. no that was a different time so yeah You'll love it, Lizzie. You, you know, definitely make sure to go back there when you when you're back in town. So, um, let's talk about what's been going on. Uh, so, this is the perennial question, it seems among a certain kinds of Catholics, which is when when does Christmas end? Which is really the question is, when are we going to take down our Christmas decorations? Uh-huh. <laughs> that so our tree's still up, um, which. You know, it it's okay. I mean, it I just worry about it getting too dry and going up in a burst of flame at some, some middle of the night, some night. But other than that, it doesn't bother me to have it up. We're not so crowded as we, it's not as crowded in the living room, I notice. Right. In past years, it felt like the tree was just filling that room. Is it big? The tree is not especially small. In fact, it's bigger than the ones we've had in the past.
1: Yeah. I don't know what's different.
0: Yeah. It's kind of weird because, frankly, there's more stuff in that room than before, not less. if anything. Um, So by by contrast of the
1: boxes that had been hanging out in the living room for so long. Yes, it it doesn't feel as crowded.
0: That might be it. Although I still remember like in previous Christmases like that, the tree being there, just I feel like I was constantly trying to sneak by it because it just would take up the room. We don't have a very big living room. Uh, Our house is small anyway, so (laughs) that's just the the fact of it. Um, But, yeah. The thing is that
1: during the week when we're homeschooling, trying to squeeze in, taking down the tree just feels like too much. And then the weekends have been busy.
0: Right. I I mean, last
1: weekend was Epiphany. We don't take down the tree on Epiphany weekend. We would have done it this weekend, except yesterday I was taking Bella and Ben to the – the scout Wraigland camp base camp
0: yeah
1: and you were um recording recording all day four
0: and a half hours with, with jimmy and then today
1: <laughs> you went and visited your mom while the kids and i watched a movie that they had to watch as a requirement for the scout merit badge they're working on yes um
0: citizenship in the community
1: yes. right so they had to watch a movie that had to do with citizenship in the community, and. I was feeling just a little bit overwhelmed and I felt I, I, I can do the movie with them or we can do the tree, but right. I just I can't do everything.
0: Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like we have tons of Christmas decorations. I mean, I know people who have like they have bins and bins of Christmas decorations. We have like one bin that has all of the decorations, including the Christmas tree ornaments and lights. We don't do like tons of stuff. No. It, I mean, really, once the tree's down, that's pretty much it. Right. There's just a few like it's a few like uh, garlands here and there.
1: Yeah. But one or two stuffed snowmen and some like
0: <laughs> we're not big on decoration, are we? No. <laughs> our
1: room, our house is too crowded. If we had a big house, I might go out a little bit more out on decorations. But yeah, I feel like I would be overwhelmed if there was more clutter.
0: If we had house. more room, you know what I would love? I would love to have one of those little Christmas villages with a train.
1: Your, your brother now has one of those. Did you see it when we were there at Christmas? John does. Yeah, in the in the front room. Oh, I didn't. No, I they didn't had, go to the front room. They had a table. Room. They had a table with a little Christmas
0: village. Aw. Yeah. I'm sad I didn't see it. If I'd known that you loved Christmas villages so much, yeah. I would have pointed it out to you. Oh, I mean, I totally. I'm like the kids. I like. I'll sit in front of it and imagine a story and the people and the, you know, who lives in each house and who the shopkeeper is.
1: You're much more like them than I am. I, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's pretty.
0: Yeah. And then no, I'm, no. And then I, I'm done. I. Like them, I, I played stories with the Star Wars figures well into my teen years, long after it was uncool. <laughs> so, um, and frankly, I, I could be, I could be tempted to do it now, except I would call it uh, writing novels or making a short story. Right. <laughs> um, So we'll get around to de-decorating. That tree will come down but at least by De- Michael Miss. De-decorating? Is that, is that a word? It is now. It's a thing. Okay. People call. I've heard people refer to dedecorating.
1: I've never heard that word before. Uh, uh, by Michaelmas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you caught that one. <laughs> Michaelmas is the beginning of September. <laughs> in case you hadn't caught that.
0: Yes, I was going to say Candlemas, but I said Michaelmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: the tree is definitely going to be gone but by Candlemas.
0: By Candlemas, not Michaelmas. Candlemas is the end of January, February second. February second. Yeah so uh that actually will come faster than you live than you think so we better get that tree down so um let's talk about other stuff i think that's about like so you mentioned you took the the two kids to the scout camp uh bella was doing her swimming requirements they have an indoor pool there we've talked about new england base camp before it's also called camp sair it is amazing it's a really nice uh Scout camp that's on the edge of Boston, but it's in the Blue Hills State Park and it is uh it's really nice. They they have like a Saturday program and you can go and for like twenty bucks you can do all kinds of like, you know, uh archery and shooting and, and all uh yeah, pioneering. If and, it
1: hadn't been rainy, I would have been tempted to take a stroll up to the uh the archery and bb range just like real <laughs> quick and let yeah. them let them get a few shots off. But it was rainy,
0: it was wet. Yeah. Nobody wanted to do that, and they they have like a ropes Although course. They,
1: I think Mick and Jay were actually heading up to the Archer Ridge because oh, yeah. they'd never been to Base Camp before.
0: Oh yeah, there's there are a couple of new scouts, and it's it is really fun. It's a lo, it's really great, and you can do all kinds of stuff there. And uh, we've we've been there a lot, but they have an indoor pool, and both Bella and Ben need to complete swimming requirements to get their next advancement. Uh, ben did, was it Ben? Ben did complete his requirements for second class, so. He yep. is getting his uh, second class rank, which is nice. Uh, that wasn't a foregone conclusion a year ago, that he would be advancing.
1: Yeah. Um, he was
0: having such troubles in general with things. So uh, it is nice to see him moving ahead.
1: Um, Yeah. What was I was going to say, oh, the swimming pool.
0: Yes, the swimming pool. <laughs>
1: the swimming pool was supposed to be an Olympic-sized pool, but they didn't calculate for the sealant. And so it is like... Less than an inch short of being an Olympic-sized pool, but it's it's enough short that it's not it's not um, competition. Yeah, you can't. They can't actually do competitions in it.
0: That is ridiculous. Isn't that ridiculous? That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's,
1: I remembered hearing that before, like long ago, like the first time we were there, and the the guy who was the manager uh, on Saturday repeated it. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember hearing that." <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous.
0: So um, the, the so that's what, we would, what we've been doing. I, I mean, the other thing is I went visit my mom uh, at the new hospital she's at. Since I think she's it's the same one she was at since the last, last time we week, talked. Yeah, um, but now she's actually in a room and not in the emergency room, which she was. Oh, in when did for they move her to a room? F- uh, middle of the week, I think. Okay, I she was in the emergency room for four or five days. With because she had COVID, she's still COVID positive. So I had to get the bunny suit on and the whole thing to go in and see her. Um, so that was it was hard, but she was she was asleep the whole time, so I didn't get a chance to talk to her. I didn't want to wake her because she's so tired uh, these days. But um, it was nice to just sit with her. I prayed a daytime prayer with her and uh, just sat with her quietly for a while. So uh, I did drive by on the way there because she's at Brigham and Women's Hospital, I did drive by Our Lady of Perpetual Help Basilica, also known as Mission Hill Basilica in Boston. It's run by the Redemptorists. And it's a designated basilica, which is a designation given by the Pope to particular churches of significance. And it's a known, it's a site of healings. So there are, there's like a chapel where, you know, you have crutches and stuff for people who've all received miraculous healings. So it's, I mean, it's a, it's a pilgrimage site. Which I've never been to. It's in Boston. It is like down the street from, say, like the Museum of Fine Arts. Uh-huh. It is like literally right there. Um, there was a mask note. I really wanted to go in, but I didn't. Um, I also really wanted to stop at the museum because I drove right by it on my way home. Uh-huh. And I didn't. But it, it would have been fun to stop in just by myself just to kind of wander a bit. It would have been fun. But I wanted to get back. Be. Yeah. So, I might not have resisted the temptation. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but I need to get back to make my beans, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but first, let's talk about some other things that we made earlier in the week. Uh, I love shrimp, that is probably come up before on the oh, podcast, I'm sure. And like, I my motto is when I go at the grocery store, if shrimp's on sale, I'm buying it, which is problematic because apparently shrimp is on sale a lot. So I don't actually buy it every single time, <laughs> but I wanted to make uh, a shrimp dish. What was the last Friday, I guess. Um, and I made two different shrimp dishes. I made a coconut shrimp and I made bang, bang shrimp. Now I, I, I liked, I was, I was really interested in the bang, bang shrimp because it's a, because it, I think somebody got like bang, bang shrimp when we went to legal seafood with your dad. No, I got, green beans with a bang bang sauce oh right which ooh that's something we could use the leftover bang bang sauce with
1: yeah it was they were really good
0: okay what is bang bang <laughs> so it sounds silly but it is a it's a, i think it's a thai dish originally and i should have looked it up but it's i think it's a thai dish and um like street food and it was called Bang Bang because it's spicy. That's that's my recollection of it. I mean, you know.
1: I, I looked it up and I found like six different explanations. One that said the name came from Chinese street food and was later applied to whatever. And Right. I, I think that it's one of those things that nobody's quite sure. There's lots of apocryphal.
0: I mean, literally one says it's from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I think is the stupidest thing. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but the Thai thing is th- there's a Thai sweet chili sauce in it which which might be part of it. So here's the recipe, like the Bang Bang itself. Um, I looked it up and um, this is from com. It's uh, kitchen without an E. So I'll put a link in the show notes. And so you take the, you have shrimp and, and you know, you defrost it. But what you do is you take um, half a cup of mayonnaise, quarter cup of, Thai sweet chili sauce, which is a very specific sauce you'll, you can buy in the uh, ethnic foods aisle of your grocery store. Um, ours had it. And a teaspoon of sriracha and just whisk it. Just those three things. And then you take a cup, a half a cup of buttermilk, which is interesting. And another teaspoon of sriracha. Combine that. And you put all of the peeled, deveined shrimp in that bowl. Now, when I like cook shrimp I always take the tails off. I, yes, I, I really dislike Ugh. eating shrimp with the tails on it. You're like because you got to handle it, then you got to like pull it off, and it's just or pull it out of your mouth, which is gross. So you get this. So you have the buttermilk, and you got the shrimp in it. Then you have cornstarch, a bowl of cornstarch. Okay, so you get the sauce that's on the table. Uh, then you get the shrimp in the buttermilk uh, mixture with the sriracha. And then you have cornstarch, so you, as you take the shrimp out of the out of the buttermilk soak, the marinade, then you um coat it in the cornstarch and then you put it on a a tray you see it dries a little, you want it to dry a little, and then you fry it up just really simply, just throw it in you know and uh, deep fry it in some oil or you know shallow fry it uh, a couple inches of oil and once it's done, once it's all cooked, this has you toss it to with the sauce. Now I served it um with a sauce on the side.
1: So when I had the bang bang flavored green, green beans, beans, they did not have the same sauce. Like I think they just had the Thai sweet the the sweet chili sauce. They did not have the the mayonnaise and
0: was the were the green beans like cooked in any different way other than just having the Thai sweet chili sauce on it? I think they might have been like fried, like, oh, coated like, and co- fried, like
1: breaded and fried. Um, It's been a while since we, since I had it. Yeah. But, um, but no, the sauce was just the, the, like the sweet chili sauce. It didn't have, like, it wasn't creamy, like it had mayo in it. That's anything. weird. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But the sauce is really good. And I would use it like on different things, like with vegetables. That would be actually you pretty see, good.
1: I, I liked the, the, the chili sauce just by itself without the other stuff mixed in.
0: Well, um, and the chili sauce came in handy with the coconut shrimp. Now that was a little more involved. Um, the coconut shrimp is from, a, uh, the recipes from a site called delights.com. And so you take the shrimp cleaned and deveined and you set up a, a series of bowls. Uh, in one bowl, you have a half a cup of flour In another bowl, you have a batter, which consists of more flour, baking powder, garlic powder, egg, beer, uh, and that's it. Okay, in that bowl. So you have a batter. And then a third bowl with a mixture of shredded coconut. It says sweetened or unsweetened. I went with the unsweetened. I think sweetened might be a little too sweet. That and panko breadcrumbs. Okay. So you take the shrimp and you put it in the flour, then you put it in the batter, and then you put it in the breadcrumbs and the coconut flour, and you and you coat it and you kind of pat it on to make it stick. You put it in a pan, and you and you do them all. And then, again, you deep fry them. Um, oh, no, before you deep fry them, this was the key, actually. Once you've coated them all, you put them in the freezer for a half hour, which makes the coating solidify and adhere so it won't fall off in the front. Yes. That that's key. They were they were so good.
1: Like I, I tried one of the other shrimps. Yeah. They were okay. The coconut shrimp, like once I t- tasted that, I didn't want any of the other <laughs> shrimp
0: at all. <laughs> and I served it, it with, so good. with the Thai like the just with the plain Thai sweet chili sauce. And it was really good with that.
1: Yeah, I, I think I would honestly just say I liked the Thai sweet chili sauce plain better than it with with mixed in with the other things,
0: yeah. Well, the bang bang sauce was for the other shrimp, but yeah.
1: No, but but I mean, but
0: I, even the other shrimp.
1: Yeah, I just I liked yeah. the. Okay,
0: um, so this this worked out really well. This was a real. I think this is hundred. I think everybody liked it. Pretty much everybody had some. I don't think if anybody didn't, I don't know if Ben did. I yeah. I, th- I think it was think, pretty popular.
1: I think I think Ben might have made himself a PB and J.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's he's, not, he's not
1: really a big shrimp guy
0: but uh yeah the batter on the coconut shrimp it's it's adhered really well and it, it was really crunchy really flavorful I, I really liked it um and by having you have to freeze it so while that was in the freezer i was able to make the other shrimp so it was make made it really easy so uh really happy with how that came out i also made a, another dish mushu pork now mushu pork has A history for me. When I was a kid, this was one of the dishes we always got when we went for Chinese food in my family. In fact, um, my dad would take us out sometimes, occasionally to Joyce Chen Restaurant, which is a Joyce Chen. Kind of became like a. I don't know if it was a chain, but they 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 were a brand that had like ingredients in the store. You could buy Joyce Chen soy sauce and stuff. And one of the dishes we would always get at Joyce Chen was Mushu pork. And what made it interesting and different was that it came with these little thin pancakes and you would take a little hoisin sauce and put it on the pancake and then you would put some of the, it was like a meat and vegetable mixture on it and you'd roll it up and eat it. It was basically like a Chinese burrito, a little Chinese burrito. Uh, and they were awesome. I loved them as a kid. And so, and there was only so many pancakes. So everyone had to make sure we got, you know, a pancake. Whereas, and, see, mushu
1: pork was the weird thing that my mom got that she'd occasionally, like she'd let us try and I'd be like, uh, that's interesting. No, thanks. <laughs> I'll go back to my Mugu Guy pan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't really like Mugu Guy pan, was, but so, um, I always, yeah, I liked it, but it was the assembly thing. We've talked about it before. Like when, when you have to, when you serve kids a dish that requires some assembly, they have to like make, make their own, put bits together to make it. I think that they like it better. I, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I liked it. So I wanted to make this mushu pork, and this is a Cook's Illustrator recipe. And it came out okay, so I had to make the pancakes first. And frankly, I doubled the pancakes, but I probably should have only doubled those and not the rest of it, the stir fry itself, because it made way, way more than we ate. Um, But the pancakes are interesting because they have to be thin. And to make them thin, what you do is... You, um, you know, you make this dough that's basically just flour and boiling water and you roll it out into these rounds, these three inch rounds, or you, you don't roll them. You, you, you cut them up into little balls and then you spread them out with your fingers. Then you oil one, one of them, one side with sesame oil, then put another one on top of it and then use a rolling pin to roll it out to like a seven inch round. So there are two of them stuck together. Then you fry it in a pan, like just like in a, a pan with a little oil on the bottom, on both sides until it starts to separate because that oil keeps them separate. And then when they're cooked and they're cool enough, you pull them apart. So you cook them smushed together because that gives them the structural stability, but then you pull them apart to make them thin. Huh. I have to be honest. <laughs> Yours were not that thin. My well, mine were not great. By the end, actually, I was doing pretty good with them. The first half of dozen of them were uh, kind of weird shaped and had holes. When and some of them didn't separate. <laughs> I was having you know some learning curve on it. I'm I'm not great at making bready things yet. I used to really be good at making sandwich bread, but I just haven't done that in a long time. I've left that to you. So. um so that came up pretty good. I, the hoisin is really what makes it is really the flavor in that. So I, I really like that. It so it's pork tenderloin, um I was supposed to have um bamboo shoots which I didn't get for some reason at the grocery store, but I did have water chestnuts. So that worked out okay. And cabbage, which is really good in that. And um what else was shiitake mushrooms. So I like it. And I you know, and again, I like for the kids to put things together. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about in the food There's a lot of food this week. Uh, Boston baked beans—I've—I've I've probably mentioned it a long time ago. I haven't made them in a long time. We have an actual bean pot, Boston bean pot, and I wanted—I've been wanting to make these baked beans for a while. I haven't had them in a long time, and I really like the slow cook in the oven. And so we had some Great Northern beans; they're pretty old. I wasn't sure whether they would work. Soaked them overnight, parboiled them this morning, and then you, when you make them, you just mix them with. It's a very simple recipe sugar molasses dry mustard black pepper and you have a whole onion that you quarter and salt pork which can be kind of hard to find but if you can't find it bacon will work just like a big hunk of bacon in the bean pot in the oven make sure you know with so you've mixed up the uh uh the molasses and sugar and mustard and pepper with some wa- boiling water and then you fill up the pot make sure it's full and it goes in the oven 300 degrees this said 6 hours but i think we, i was only like 4 for these so it, it, they cooked pretty fast um and then i had but i also had all these extra beans like mate I, I soaked way more beans than i needed they yeah. it in the pot so we ended up making instant pot barbecue beans and those came out pretty good. In fact, they might taste, I think they might be a little more popular than my baked beans were. I loved Boston baked beans, but these Instant Pot barbecue beans were good. Um, so uh, I, I've probably been talking too long, so I won't go into the the barbecue beans, but I'll put a link to the to the recipe in the show notes and you can check it out if you want to. Uh, it was really quick, like half an hour to make the barbecue beans. So... Um, I realize now I've talked about all the the cooking. <laughs> did you
1: cook anything this week, Melanie? Um,
0: <laughs> did I? I, I mean, really. you cooked. You made. We had tacos this week, and we had some. You made beef stroganoff. I'm just. I'm just yeah. teasing you. Um, um, I did all of the cooking of notable new recipes. Thing.
1: I did make a a, a a the bread beer batter bread. Yeah, not, not beer batter. It was a it was a yeasted bread that had beer, and. I bought some Oktoberfest for Sam Adams Oktoberfest. That was the for the bang bang shrimp or the cooking
0: shrimp, whatever.
1: For the shrimp. Shrimp. They needed a beer batter. Right. Yep. So I bought some and I, you know, it got me a hankering for beer bread. And this beer bread, we had some old active dry yeast. And when I tried to proof it, it didn't really proof very much. But then I realized I hadn't actually mixed it in with the water properly. And so then I proofed another batch of it. And that one kind of rose, but not quite doubled. And so it was sort of active. So I just like dumped all of the yeast, both batches of it, into the bread. And also the recipe I was calling for only asked for like half of the beer bottle. And I just dumped the whole beer bottle in and then threw in more flour until it mixed. It probably could have used a little bit more salt, but other than that, it, it came out really was, well. It came out really well. It it didn't have a lot of really big um, holes in it.
0: Structure, yeah.
1: Um, partly because I think there was enough yeast that it rose kind of quickly, as opposed to a really slow but with more bubbles. But it was good. It, the the flavor was really good.
0: Yes, it was. It was. Yeah, it was kind of denser a little bit, but yeah, it was good. I mean, for something that you kind of were winging it, it came out really well. So that's what we've been eating. So let's talk about things we've been watching or reading. Um, I had three things I watched that I wanted to quickly talk about. There's a new show on Netflix called Kaleidoscope. It's a limited series, I think six episodes or seven episodes. Each episode is named after a color and it's a a heist uh, story. You know, they're going to break into a vault and that sort of thing. Um, which isn't all that unique, although it does ha- star um, Giancarlo Esposito, who is Moff Gideon, also from Breaking Ooh. Bad and some other things. OK, yeah, yeah, he's really good. He's really good in it. He's never been bad in anything I've watched him in. he's always awesome. Um, but what makes you this... know, he's played a bad
1: guy. Was that he said he's never been bad. Like he's played bad guys. I was confused. Oh, yeah.
0: He's played a villain, but he's always very good. And this is, he's not so much a villain. In any case, um, what's interesting about this series is the way Netflix shows it to you is in random order. So each episode takes place at a different period of time before the heist. I think one of them takes place after the heist or during the heist. So like 24 years before, six years before. Six weeks before et cetera et cetera so
1: the the name kaleidoscope refers to like shuffling random shuffling
0: right. of little colored pieces Netflix will show you the 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 series you as an individual in a random order um so that's really taking
1: nonlinear narrative to ex- an extreme exactly
0: now if you wanted to you could go online and find the ideal order that someone has found and like from the oldest to the newest or you could just kind of go with the ride i kind of enjoyed it the way in because it's you have to kind of figure out what's going on and who the people are like the one that it started me with i think was episode green which takes place 6 years before and i kind of pretty had a pretty good idea of what was going on throughout it although at one point he has this reaction to this person and I don't didn't understand why until I'd seen a later episode that oh, there's history here that I didn't realize. Um, so, uh, it's interesting to watch it this way. It's the sort of thing that you'd only do with streaming, right? That everyone could watch a different order. So, it, plus it's a good story. I always like a good heist movie too. So, um, it, it's I might have to watch that because I love some nonlinear storytelling. Also the. The 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 main villain is the guy from Victoria, the one with Clara Oswald, Jenna Coleman. Um, oh, the, the Rufus,
1: the one about Queen Victoria. You mean,
0: yeah, Rufus. Oh, what's his name? Um, he was also in the uh the movie The Man in the High Castle. I mean, the TV show, the Amazon series, The Man in the High Castle, as the uh, main American Nazi. Um. Rufus Sewell. Okay, I'm I'm going to I Who Did it he up.
1: play in Victoria? Was was he Alfred? Uh
0: He's no. Been so, it's
1: been so long since I've watched that. I don't remember.
0: Uh Kaleidoscope. Uh, Rufus Sewell. Okay, I had his name right. And in Victoria, he was uh Lord Melbourne.
1: Oh, okay, right.
0: Yeah. Um and he was John Smith in the Man of the High Castle. Just kind of funny.
1: Yeah, I got I got bored with Victoria after the first season when it it got more I don't know yeah political and and <laughs> yeah it kind of got off track.
0: Uh, I gathered that that's what happened to the other one, to the Crown. But I know a lot of people still who still like it. But I,
1: yeah, I got bored with the Crown in the second season.
0: <laughs> so a follow up on a show that I was watching uh, that I mentioned before called Echo Three, which is this uh, military drama. About an American woman who gets kidnapped in right, colombia right. I remember that
1: um
0: so I watched all ten episodes <sighs> it should have been a five episode series it was it was drawn out way too long. there was like these long like nothing happening, just watching them riding in a in a speedboat away from the action after it happened, and then these long action sequences, but it's one of these stories where they they don't have like they don't have the people talking they just have people like doing random things watching them ride in a a truck through the forest you know or like long sequences of them running through a marketplace as they're you know they're trying to get away and it's just it just was long (laughs) in the and the Lead actors of the lead actors, Luke Evans was the only good one. Uh, the other two were, were not that good at acting. Like their character, I didn't buy their characters. I disliked their characters. You're supposed, supposed to with the heroes. And there's this long, exp- like this, the last episode is this long dénouement where most movies or shows would have ended the previous episode with the the rescue episode spoilers it's a it's a it's a show about a rescue okay but it's trying to kind of say just because we've done this thing doesn't mean there's a happily ever after And it's kind of depressing actually <laughs> and it's yeah it was kind of I don't know it was a whole long episode where that just to tell us that there isn't a happily ever after And it was kind of uh, I so I can't recommend it I mean I watched the whole thing there was some some cool Sequences, but it's not worth the whole ten episodes. Finally, a show that I've been watching for years now it's it may be the most Catholic show on network t v SWAT The episode I watched uh, i don't know last night I guess it was featured the head of the SWAT team who's um unmarried, but with his girlfriend, they're having a baby outside of wedlock and uh he said he he says to the mother of the child, "Oh, you know, and this is the christening dress that my family always uses." And the 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 mother is, I am not religious and I don't want to baptize a child. And so he's struggling with. He really has this feels this need, and he's not a very religious person either. But he feels this need to baptize the child, and so this other guy on the team is very Catholic. And this, he's a very Catholic character. I've talked about him before. His name's Deacon, the character. And he goes to his friend to talk to him about this because he's the Catholic friend and the religious guy. And they have this great conversation about why he feels this need to baptize this child, how to talk to her about it. And I'm like, this is a great you know, uh, evangelizing conversation. Like somebody is sneaking this stuff into network TV on a cop show. It's kind of wild.
1: Is is that David Borian's the
0: no no no? That's Seal Team. You're thinking okay, that's a that's different Seal one.
1: Team. I was gonna say because because he I know he's Catholic and yeah he plays Catholic and, characters a lot.
0: And this Catholic stuff has happened in Seal Team too. But yeah, I'm really curious who's who's sneaking Catholic stuff into SWAT because <laughs> uh-huh. there's all kinds of other stuff that's going on that's not Catholic. I mean I mean I'll just say that there. But I mean it's not a, it's not terrible, but. Um, it's very interesting. It, I mean, because it made me think of in, forming intentional disciples. It's an idea of thresholds. That this was a threshold conversation where this guy, something in him says, "I need to set aside my child to God." And why? Why do I feel this need? And it's this. He went to his friend, who who he knows as Catholic or as Christian. Why? You know, and to, to to talk to him about it. So I thought that was fascinating. Anyway. Cool. You've been watching something?
1: Uh so far only the first episode. Uh I watched the first episode of Three Pines which is on Amazon Prime and it stars um
0: Alfred Molino. Alfred
1: Molino. thank you. Uh who's awesome. So it's a mystery show, murder mystery. Uh he's a uh, Honestly, it's set in Canada and I don't even remember where exactly in Canada and the titles like for the group that they're part of like he's it's in Quebec Quebec yeah yeah there's people speaking french like part of it is subtitled in french um there's a lot there's a there's a sort of a subplot about an indigenous girl who has either run away or been kidnapped or been murdered her family are insist that she's been murdered uh the police think that that she's just a runaway and she's run off to new york and And then there's this really despicable woman who everybody in the town hated, who is rich and like wrote a book, like a self help book, um, who was murdered. So far, I like it. It feels like there's a lot of really interesting, quirky characters. I like the setting, and Alfred Molina is great. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to watching it. My mom recommended it. Um, Cool. And this this sort of backdrop backdrop is, um, of course, the. Residential schools, and you know, to which native kids were taken from their families and sent to residential schools. And one of the investigators who works with Alfred Molina is First Nations herself, but when she's asked what her people is, she says she doesn't know because she was adopted as a baby, and so she's sort of a person with no roots, Mm. uh, which was kind of poignant. And then it turned out that the woman who Every, this is not huge spoilers because it's just the first episode. But the woman who everyone hated, who was murdered, was living in a former residential school. So, like one of the first things you find out about her is the the, the First Nations woman saying, "Who would choose to live in a residential school?" Like kind of right. So that's definitely a major theme: is the the tensions.
0: Um, is it all like one story, or is it episodic?
1: I think it's going to be one story because like we did not get very far. Like, we got to the point of sort of dis- determining Alfred Molina, determining that everyone in town is a suspect. Uh. Um, so I think it's going to be like one overarching story, like like or two really the murder mystery and the runaway girl. And I think that's going to be the whole season. Cool. I suspect just the, based on the, the pacing was very slow. Like it wasn't it's not
0: fast paced so kind of like broad church probably
1: yeah i'm thinking it had kind of a broad churchy sort of feel in terms of we're just figuring out who these people are and plopping them into the mer- middle of the mystery uh again kind of a small town and who are these people what's going on
0: mm. okay that sounds interesting i may want to check it out myself um and then you uh, fi- finished a book this week?
1: I did finish a book. I finished a book called Purple Hibiscus by the African novelist. Um,
0: Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie.
1: Yeah, you've got the book, the computer no, no, screen. No, I knew that off of the top of, of my head. No, you didn't. Uh, <laughs> my eyes aren't very good, so I have a hard time reading the computer screen. That's why Dom is saying all the names of my <laughs> things for me. Uh, I read a book by her over the summer, I think. Uh, Americana. Yeah um which was about Nigerian immigrants to the US and England. This one is set just in Nigeria. Um and it's a f- the first per- it's a story told from the first person by a
0: 15-year-old, 15-year-old girl. girl. Yeah.
1: And uh her family is Catholic. Her father is a sort of tribal leader and very rich and important in his church community. And he is the editor of a of a major newspaper. Um, and they're very rich. So they live this very privileged life. But the father is horribly, horribly abusive. He's physically abusive. He's emotionally abusive. He's very controlling. And he's spiritually abusive because he justifies all of his treatment of his children as being for and his wife too as being for the good of their souls it was a very disturbing novel especially the first third or so which is the first third you're kind of with the character who's trapped she starts sort of near the end and then goes back to tell you sort of the backstory so she starts the interesting she starts on palm sunday and then she goes back in to some period of time beforehand to give you kind of the backstory. And you're working forward towards Palm Sunday, which at the beginning of the novel tells you that's when everything starts to fall apart in her family. Um, and so that first third of the novel, you're just like trapped in the home. And then she gets to go. Then you get to school and she's not really any less trapped at school because her father insists that she has to be first in the class and she will be punished if she's not first, if she's just second. Um, and then they go to celebrate Christmas um in their tribal lands. Um, they have a big house out in the country, and she's just as trapped there. I mean finally in the second like half of the book, she goes to visit she and her brother go to visit their aunt, their father's sister. Who is just this amazing breath of fresh air. She's a university professor and she's, she's also very religious. And I really liked that there wasn't shown like the, all of the religious people were bad and all of the good people were non religious. Um, the aunt is very faithful. She and her, her kids pray the rosary every day. The best friend who is coming over all the time is a priest. Um, and the aunt sort of starts to, piece together what's going on, her, how her brother is treating his family, and tries to help the kids and the wife to escape from her brother's clutches. But since he's so rich, like, it's really hard for justice to happen because the priests, the doctors, everyone all side with the dad. Right. And it's a very, it is a very patriarchal society. Um. There's some really interesting moments, like the cousin is supposed to be making her confirmation. And she keeps having this, she has this argument with the priest where she wants to, she doesn't understand why she has to take an English name to be confirmed. And it's like, well, this is how it's always been done. My my baptism name is Victor and I never go by it. I. And my you know confirmation name is whatever I never go by them. I just go by you know his um Nigerian name uh, in the Igbo language but and and he will not give and say, "Sure, there's no reason why you can't be confirmed with a non English name like there's nothing in the church which says that it has to be English. It's a very colonial mindset, and so the girl ends up deciding not to be confirmed because she refuses to be confirmed with an English name. And she she proposes several names in Igbo, which would be perfectly appropriate, according to the church's, like, understanding.
0: They're saints. They're They're
1: not saint names, but they're like God, like the... God is good, God is beautiful, oh. God saves me sort of names. like God
0: attribute names.
1: They're God attribute names. They're, and she's like, they're, these are pr- names that praise God. Why do I have to have an English saint name like Peter or Paul or John or Mary? Um, and I felt like that was one of the interesting features of this book was that you could really see that the church is kind of trapped in this, like these rigidities that don't really have anything to do with the actual church teaching. And that's kind of where the family is, too. They're kind of trapped in this rigidness that doesn't really have anything at all to do with the church teaching. Um, And I felt like the the family was kind of a microcosm for the country of Nigeria. There's this oppression, this oppressive force that's weighing down on them. And there's this political through line where the father and his role as newspaper editor is criticizing the military dictatorship which has taken over and which is very oppressive to the people. And so there's this sort of sense in which just as the the girl, her brother and her mom are being oppressed, the whole country is also being oppressed. It it's ultimately was kind of a hopeful book They in that they do have a mostly positive resolution, but in some ways it was also kind of depressing because it felt like there are some of these institutional evils which are so deep-seated that how can they ever possibly Mm. overcome them
0: yeah i mean you it's hard to have an entertaining story where it feels unhopeful so you have to in fact the book i'm reading now the mistborn series has got a similar feel to it where you know it's a an oppressive society. It's been that way for a thousand years. The majority of the people are slaves, essentially to the upper class, under a horrible oppression by an immortal dictator, an immortal emperor uh, who will never die. And there's no hope until these, you know, the main characters show up or, who bring hope, even though they're a little bit cynical about it. They're not, they're doing something else, but maybe they're actually going to accomplish what the people hope they're going to, so it's it's interesting, like this idea of this this story about living under this oppressiveness, but finding hope in the small ways. Like she's not overthrowing the oppressive Nigerian government in this book, no, but she is.
1: But but perhaps there is some relief for the family with the oppressive father, right? Um, and I mean, in, in the end, the aunt. And her family uh, are debating whether they're not they're going to move to America because the university keeps getting shut down by the government by strikes, Mm. and so like you see this sort of the brain drain of if and the 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 aunt has a friend who comes and she says like if the best and brightest of our country leave how is how are things going to ever improve and yet what is there to stay for if she can't even keep her job right like so there's this the sense of People being trapped. Like, how does how does change happen?
0: Right. Interesting.
1: Um. But I, you know, I I try to make it one of my goals every year to read a certain. Um, I like to read outside of my own culture, outside of my own zone, and this was very different. I I enjoy reading, kind of exploring.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you're reading these books from other countries. The other you know, African uh, books or uh, Asian, you know, viewpoint, that sort of thing. Um, you had a couple that were from India recently. Right. It's, it's fascinating to see these books from these different points of view from, from your eyes. Kind of interesting. Cool. All right. So that's what we've been reading and watching. And uh, so not a lot to talk about, I think about the mass readings this week. Both of us were a little bit out of it, I think. Uh, you got a few more notes than I did. So the readings this week were about, let me pull them back up again. The
1: Isaiah and the suffering, ser- Isaiah the suffering, suffering servant. servant.
0: And the gospel was John the Baptist, you know, behold, behold the, the Lamb, Lamb of, of God. God who takes away the sin of the world. And the our celebrant was Father Oliver, who is a Nigerian priest by happenstance. Strange coincidence. Yes, um, and so you said he had he did a good job of tying together all of the readings and the psalms, including the psalm. He did. It was one of those great
1: uh, homilies where he pulled together all the readings. He talked about how all of us are called to be, you know, by by virtue of our baptism, to be uh, announced to announce Christ, to be prophets, to be. Um, To a prophetic role, like John the Baptist, like Saint Paul, like Isaiah, um, to be a light to the nations. It was really good. I, I took notes, but I don't think I can say a whole lot more than that. Was really good. (laughs) So sorry, um, I'm not feeling really brilliant. I
0: think Father Oliver is a Jesuit. He's studying at Boston College. He might be, and you really feel like his homilies are being you know coming from a deep. Spirituality, a deep theology—they're very deep. He also has a strong accent, so sometimes it's kind of hard to like. You really have to concentrate to follow. Right. I along. mean, when he
1: talked about like when he went into like why is John calling Jesus the Lamb of God, and we went back to Exodus and Leviticus, and we talked about the scapegoat, and we talked about uh Abraham's sacrifice of the right. oh no no he talked about the Moses's sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb and painting the blood on the doorpost and a it really went deep into the readings. I can remember sort of like the topics that he touched on, but I don't really remember the deeper yeah, things that he was pulling out.
0: Right. It was a very deep homily. Um, but yeah, I always feel like I,
1: when I hear Jesuit homilies, you can kind of feel that there's a little bit more training and skill in terms of sort of Here's the three things we're talking about, and we're going to talk about one, and then we're going to talk about two, and we're going to talk about three, and then we're going to pull things together, and then we're going to go a little bit deeper, and then we're going to come back to that. And it really has those layers of like structure.
0: Yeah, when they came out, it was like, oh, there's Father Oliver, and there's Deacon Bob, which homily are we going to get today. <laughs> I was glad that Father Oliver preached. Um, deacon Bob is a, is a nice guy, but he's new as a deacon, and... Not, not Jesuit.
1: <laughs> he's not that new,
0: but so he's well, right. But he's um, he's somewhat inexperienced as a homilist, the, right? He, his homilies are fine. He just, but he he tends to. I think he's using sort resources and pulling out bits and pieces and kind of just cramming them all together. And it's not like a cohesive hole that goes deep into any particular area, uh, like father Oliver does, which is or father, Matt or father, you know, the other priests. So, um, deacon Christopher, who who's our previous deacon was really great. Uh, at was might've been the, the, one of the best homilists I've ever heard priest or deacon. So, um, I was sad to see him go. All right, let's wrap things up. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Jonathan S., Bill, Morrowind, Henry S., and Joby W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue raising the bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com. Or visit the StarQuest Discord community at slash discord. Write a review at Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Emily Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest network you're sure to enjoy: PlayStation Portable. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at starquest.fm slash PSP.